Right. Did you guys hear that? I did. Yes. That's probably Zoom. Practice. This is Zoom. This is an advertisement for Zoom because that's Zoom's disclaimer to make sure everyone knows that they're being recorded. Probably because not all states, I live in New York, I happen to know it's like a one party uh, consent state for recording, oh. but not all states are. Daniel's in um, Virginia and you're in Ohio, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. So everyone's being recorded. <laughs> uh, this is the Get You Some Productions podcast and now uh, YouTube channel, vlog, whatever you want to call it. Um, we are a podcast devoted to all things uh, related to music production from the very first note and the, to the very last, from the very first note to the last fan. So everything that it takes to make music, uh, we'll happily cover it. Um, we are here with, uh, well, my name's Keith, uh, my partner below me in this, in this shot. Yeah, my name's Daniel. Hello, everybody. And we have a very, very special guest, Tim Mirth on. Uh, Tim is a friend of the podcast. He has his own podcast and he's a, um, a guitarist extraordinaire capable of tones from the dulcet to the cemented to the cemented, I like it. Yeah. <laughs> from the, from the tormented to the tormented. <laughs> uh, so where I, I, um, we, we want to feature you today, Tim. Um, we want to talk about your new album. Yeah. Um, uh, the new Red Side. Is it the only Red Side visible album? It's actually the second one. Second yeah. one. Um, and what's it called again? Um, a Break from Normality. Yes. Right. Yeah. yeah. I have it right here. Um, I've been listening to it a lot, actually. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Very much digging it. Um, but what... I think we should probably start off with just, can you just give us a background? I know you did this once on the podcast, but we were sort of rushing through. Last yeah. time Tim was on was right after Check Korea passed. And we had a connection because we both love that album, Acoustic Band. So we were really focusing on Check when we talked about that, uh, when, we, when we talked on that particular show. So you gave a quick intro to yourself, but I think we, we cut it off just to let it, be chicks uh chicks time but now it's your time dude ah. so you know um i know a little bit of your story because you do have a podcast the wood air metal podcast so i've heard yeah. a little bit of your story but why don't you give us some you know and, and this is your time so whatever you know it's all good talk talk about yourself how do yeah, you get sure. the, uh, the superhero theory the superhero origin story that as it were well i would say i had no real clear advantages um, as I've gone, but I'm very stubborn. Maybe that's my advantage. So I've been playing about, um, I'm, I just turned 40 this year. And uh, I've been playing since I was 10. And, and really the way that story goes, um, when we were growing up, there was music around the house. We, you know, we had church, we went to church and, and there was music there all the time. Um, and at some point we took some piano lessons, but I really never took to it. It was very competitive in my house for that kind of thing. But then uh, we ended up moving from West Virginia to Pennsylvania as a kid when I was 10 years old. 
And of course I, I had no friends or anything. And my room that, of the house we moved into um, was connected to the attic. So I would sneak up in the attic and see what we had up there, you know, as a 10 year old would. And I found my dad's old guitar, which is a Gretsch Corvette, which actually I have right here. Yeah, let's see it. Let's it's see that. guitar. Wow. Gretsch Corvette, 1968 or so. Wow. Cool. So this guitar was in a in a case upstairs. And I, I think I remembered like as a kid, like my dad was like, don't touch the guitar, you know. It was kind of one of those, you're going to break it, you know. But I'd sneak up there and then I, I didn't really know how it worked. And then I kind of fumbled around on it and figured out, oh, you press the fret and it changes the pitch. And I had the reason I mentioned the piano lessons before is I had at least a little bit of knowledge to know like how to play Mary Had a Little Lamb or something. So I, I distinctly sort of remember sort of figuring it out on guitar just by, and I didn't know what pitches they were or anything. I just, it's like, oh, the, the oh, if I move my hand, then it changes the pitch. <clears throat> and so I snuck the guitar downstairs and put it under my bed. And every day after school, I didn't, you know, I didn't have any friends or anything because we'd moved and I would just play and I would just, I was fascinated with it. Like the, the moment I touched it and figured it out sort of became my thing. And I, I had this great fear that my dad was going to come in and say, you can't play that thing. Put that back. You're not allowed. Um, and one day he comes and knocks on the door and he's like, hey, what's going on? And then he, all he did was he showed me how to tune it. He had this like old Mel Bay book from like 1968 or whatever, you know, yeah. and he, he gave me that and he, he just kind of like, just let me be. He, he sort of, at that point, I guess he had figured out my personality, which I tend to be um, the type that if you tell me to do something, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to do the opposite. Like, so I think he was like, all right, I got to put some kid gloves on here and like, I'm just going to let him do his thing. Cause if I try to tell him how to do it, he's probably going to say, well, I don't want to do this anymore. You know, but, uh, yeah, he just let me be and he kind of showed me and he was always like my biggest supporter and fan. Um, and it's funny, I, I, most guitar players and musicians I know, a lot of times, if they're not, well, wind instrument people, a lot of times they kind of grow up through the school system or whatever, right? And they don't really, it, they might just end up really liking it. They don't necessarily start saxophone because they heard Charlie Parker or whatever. They right. start saxophone because they were playing clarinet in school and then they eventually played saxophone and whatever. A lot of times I have, but in guitar world, you hear all the stories of, well, I saw the Beatles on Ed Sullivan or uh, Marty McFly and Back to the Future or something like some kind of like event that happened. It really wasn't that way for me. Um, I just was obsessed with the guitar just as a way to make music. Mm. Um, actually, prior to that, I always thought I'd be a rap rapper. <laughs> So, I was sort of working on my rap game and I didn't even listen to music with guitars at that point really when you were, when you were 10 years old yeah when I was 10 I mostly oh. listened to like what was ever on like yo MTV yeah. rap and I, vanilla ice well it, it was like even like ice tea and Colmo D and like I still know a lot of the words to those things <laughs> that's what was on yo MTV raps when you were yeah because I'm 40 yeah so I yeah would have been in like in the 80s you know during the 80s that yeah, was, that was big time. Yo, MTV, kind of like Public Enemy. Yeah, Public Enemy and all that sure. stuff. So I, I grew up on all like that's what I was listening to. Now, it, so if we get the timeline right here, when I was I turned ten, I'm I'm a December baby. So really, like 
91 is when I turned when I was 10 years old, right? So what happened in 1991? Well, Nirvana hit, mm. right? right? And like, I sort of instantly gravitated towards that once I kind of got into it. But it wasn't it wasn't that that got me. And I actually started getting the guitar really before I noticed that so much. It's not that I didn't notice it maybe, but it wasn't the thing that was the impetus for me starting. But then I, I really, you know, what was cool about that scene and maybe this is true of all scenes, but at least in my particular age group was um, a lot of that music was a little bit more approachable and easier to sort of learn when you were, you know, a budding guitarist. So pretty much within a year or two, I was starting bands with friends mm -hmm. and uh, you know, all through high school. So we had, I've had bands most of the time that I've played guitar. And even, I think, <laughs> There's some videos that we did like in, you know, I'm um, sixth, seventh grade or whatever, like who knows, like crazy guitar stuff. And I didn't really know how to play a lot of stuff. Um, but I would, I remember I used to take a tape recorder and I would record songs, you know, off the, the radio. And then I would try to learn stuff just, you know, by ear or whatever. And we didn't really have the cash to get lessons or anything. So I didn't really have any of that. And, I'm also I play left-handed oh yeah so I was playing the Gretsch for a while but I always got annoyed by like hitting the knobs it's kind of funny in a way like why did I play left-handed but it was oh I always did that like the day I picked it up in the attic it was left-handed it just felt right um felt correct Wait, the, day, the day you picked it up in the attic it was left-handed but it was no, no no I played strong. it left-handed it's it's a righty yeah. it was strung right-handed yeah but you picked it up and played it left-handed yep. you, and you're genuinely a lefty. Yeah. And I'm a left hand. I write left-handed right, and everything, right. but my natural tendency was to play it left-handed without really knowing what that even meant. You know, I didn't know what that meant. And again, my dad didn't stop me. He just kind of let me be. And eventually I flipped the strings over and I tried to learn some stuff out of the books and, you know, you, you're learning songs to play in bands and, and those kind of things. Yeah. Um, and I, I was really, I was totally obsessed basically from the moment I touched it. Yeah. But it really wasn't until, so when I was 16 or so, um, I didn't, all I listened to was like rock and metal at that point now. So I sort of transitioned to that over those first five, six years. Um, and it, you know, got into like make like a rest in peace came out you know like the black album came out all those kind of things like i kind of hit that pantera was huge those were kind of my jams as a you know pre-teen or whatever teen teen teenager where were you you were living in pennsylvania at this time yeah in erie pennsylvania at that point okay um so when i was 16 i i played sports and i went to this quarterback camp um in pittsburgh and my dad was like hey i got tickets to this show tonight after he picked me up i want to go and it of all bands it was funny it was, it was spira gyra and, no way <laughs> and uh, i was like oh i didn't like my dad always loved like smooth jazz and stuff and i was like yeah i'll go i was trying to be nice because my aunt was going you know even though i was like a teenager and i think i wanted to be like I'm not going to that you know but i was like my aunt was there and i just didn't want to be a jerk and i went and i remember going and uh like metal, the metal scene's so serious and like, yeah so like intense and it's always and i went to this show and even though like i'm not crazy about that kind of music like the level of performance was outstanding and uh 
and they were having fun. Like it was just fun. Like they were just jamming and like, I'm like, they were playing solos and stuff like in my head, my 16 year old head, like they were playing solos as great as anything that like, and they were just making it up that Marty Friedman ever did. You know what I mean? Like it was kind of like, probably better. I was kind of like, man, what the heck? Like, how did they get so good at this? And it's just like, they're just having the best time of their life. So I pretty much at that point, immediately like convinced my parents to start taking jazz guitar lessons. So like that somehow I made the connection there mm. and, then I, and then I got into that. And uh, you took jazz guitar lessons when you were six. Yeah. Like that was the only, that's the first lessons I ever had. I went straight to jazz. There's a pretty, a great jazz guitar player named Frank Singer in Erie. Um, who's a fantastic musician. I went to Berkeley, just like crazy great, good years. I remember one time I had him like learn this bumblefoot thing and he like, you know, it took him like, a minute to transcribe this thing just sounded like goobly gook to my ears you know <laughs> but it's just okay, great years right. he can play piano and guitar and sax and he just it was really like fortunate to meet this guy and it was the right timing or whatever um yeah so yeah then i, I studied with him and then i eventually went to college for music for a year and then i was like well the place that I went was they were very nice and accommodating and I put on like a full composition recital like the first year because I was super ambitious and then I was like well it seemed like I'd already like peaked in a way and it, it seems really egotistical now when I think about it but in my 19 year old head that's kind of what was going through my head mm-hmm. <clears throat> and uh do you have a, do you have a video of that or tape of that I don't know if there is one you know it's funny one of my professors from there that I still talk to he sent me the um the flyer, the bulletin for it, like a couple mm-hmm. weeks ago. He's like, yeah, I, I found this in my stuff. Yeah. You know, from night, this was in the year uh, 1999, 2000, around there. So he sent it to me. It was kind of cool. But uh, yeah, so I was like, well, then I, my plan was to transfer to Berkeley. Mm-hmm. I got into Berkeley, but I decided at the last second to not go. Um, I didn't really want to pay for it. It just, I could not like justify the cost in my head. And I think I had some kind of scholarship, but it wasn't like enough to make it seem reasonable. So then in my, in my head, I was thinking, well, do I go back to the place I was at, which was fine. But it, like, again, I seemed like I, I felt like I peaked or something. And, and again, this is my egotistical, like 19 year old brain thinking. Um, it seemed like, well, what is I going to do? Like, I can't, what am I going to do better than what I did? Like, I, I kind of went out on a high note. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, well, you know what? Everyone says they're going to move to New York. I'm just going to do it. So I told my mom, I'm like, hey, I booked a Greyhound thing. I'm going to get on a bus from Erie and move to New York City. And I didn't really have any plans or where to go or anything. What year was that? That was in 2000. Okay. Yeah. So uh, I'm from New York. Dan was living in New York at that time. Or yeah, may, okay. well, maybe in like 2002. How long did you live in New York? Until um, 2004. And then okay. I actually went back again 2005 to 2006 with my wife mm. um, at one point. So then, uh, yeah. So I actually, I lived out in Canarsie, Brooklyn when I first went out there. Wow. Yeah. So I was way out in no man's you get land. Anywhere from Canarsie? Did you, is there a train that goes to Canarsie? Yeah, you have to take a bus to the L train. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's and I lived in this, way. like, you know, basement apartment. Yeah. Um, and it was great, though. You know, I was, like, 19, and I was on my own, and 
Um, I found a job at a music store, Royal Music. I don't know if you guys knew that store. Where, where is Royal Music? It was in Canarsie. Yeah. No. And then they had another one in Long Island. Yeah. Um, you know what's, what's crazy about that place is they were like one of the only platinum Gibson dealers. So they'd always have this like crazy Gibson guitars like they'd only make like five of you know i remember there was these like acoustic l5 they got this one time they only made five of them and it was like 20 grand or something and it was sold before we even got it but we got it in the store yeah and the guy came and picked it up like the next day you know yeah. stuff like that so it's kind of an interesting place in that way it's a type um, of place where somebody orders the guitar from gibson directly right. so they can they, they, they have to pick they it have up there a dealer somewhere and yeah. they go pick it up there yeah yeah like i I got to do some cool stuff. They were a big Ernie Ball dealer. Like I remember one time I went to um, the Tonight Show in the green room with Albert Lee. Cause they oh, had really? That guitar. Yeah, and I got to hang oh, out with Albert his family Lee. and stuff. Yeah, it was cool. Wait. Um, and, and it was funny. Steve Martin was there that day too. What's that? You went to see the Tonight Show with Albert Lee? like you would Yeah, I was in the green room in the back, yeah. How did you know Albert Lee? Are you asking me? Do you know Albert Lee? Like, are you friends with Albert Lee? Oh, no, I'm not. No, no. You just happened. You just got into the. Yeah, no, it was because we were a big Ernie Ball dealer and they have this signature guitar. I went there, but I was hanging out with like his family, like his wife and his daughter were there. Yeah. And we were in the green room. And uh, yeah, I remember like Steve Martin was there. I actually saw the video of it. I looked it up a while ago, but you can find it because it's like, look up Steve Martin playing with Albert Lee on The Tonight Show. Yeah. You'll find it, you know. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and then they signed it. Like they signed the guitar, and I took it back on the L train, and then got on the bus, and then took it to <laughs> the store or whatever. So uh, yeah, so, that was kind of my thing. So then I I had studied with some people in New York. Um, I was working all the time though, and uh, working said, like playing. Yeah, so I started a couple bands, um, mostly at the time even though like I was sort of studying jazz, but not gutsy enough to play it. Um, and so, but I was, I kind of grew up on like metal and like progressive rock and stuff and whatever. So the bands I was starting were more on that side of things. They were, um, I don't know, prog rock, prog metal kind of stuff. Yeah. And uh, yes, yeah, so I was doing that a bit. I wasn't playing as much as I'd hoped, but I, yeah, and I was studying like jazz with different teachers out there. Who were you studying with? Is anyone notable? Um, the main person that I actually studied, you know, Steve Adelson. He's mm. the guy I studied with the most. He's a stick player. He plays Chapman stick. Oh, really? So at the time, one of my big things was doing all this like two hand tapping stuff. Yeah. And uh, it's sort of, so, and then Steve used to play with like Les Paul and all kinds of people. And he played guitar for a while, but then he basically is 100% a stick player at this at this point, I think. Wow. Um, yeah, so the, like, I would learn all this tapping stuff too, like, but also like jazz guitar, and it was kind of one of those things. Um, but yeah, I guess I I I was saying that my it's sort of a stubborn. Um, I just never stopped. I just kept practicing when I was when I was in New York. Um, I had a girlfriend for a while, but then once that ended, <laughs> like I just, I, that was my time when I practiced like eight to 10 hours a day. Like I would just work, come home, eat like ramen noodles or something and just practice from like 
7 p.m. till three in the morning, wake up, you know, I just every day. And I had like, it was very regimented and I had the whole like, you know, I had list of what I was going to do. And I don't much now in hindsight, I'm not sure how effective that practice was, but I think you kind of have to do that in a way. Um, now I think if I knew better, I would have practiced other stuff, <clears throat> but, um, anyway, it was, you know, it was, that was my time to do that shedding. Yeah. I think everybody needs that. That's sort of like a typical, yeah. like mastery thing. A lot of musicians just like, right. You know, have to go through that to really get to yeah, that. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. You know, you can kind of do it in college, but it's actually kind of hard when you're in college. I mean, I don't know. I think you said you went to music school too, right? And uh, it's like, I, I know when I, I eventually went back and got a music and engineering degree the same time because I'm dumb <laughs> but the uh <clears throat> you know the music degrees you have 74 classes a semester you know and they're all yeah. worth like a quarter credit and you're like even though they're like three rehearsals a week and like they really do take up time and so it's, it's really kind of in a way it's kind of hard to find time to practice like you're sort of always playing but you can't have that like deliberate like I'm gonna lock myself in a room and for the next eight weeks and just shed this thing. You can't, you don't really get a chance to do that. Mm -hmm. um, but my New York time was sort of that in a way, um, at least at first. Yeah. Or for I, yeah. Over a couple of years, really. Yeah. Um, I agree with that. Um, and then what, you have any other uh, notable touch points as we move on to the, uh, the, uh, the actual record. I think that you probably want to talk about the record more than anything. Yeah, so I guess the the only thing is, so eventually, I, you know, I was studying more in jazz, and I went and got more degrees, and I started making more connections, and I started playing jazz gigs and fusiony gigs. Yeah. And so what transpired to create this particular group? So I had mentioned that, I guess maybe it was more like 2007 or something. I went back to New York. I I got I can't think of the dates right. Mm -hmm. But I was starting to play with this guy Paul Stranahan, and we were doing mostly like jazz fusiony stuff. Mm -hmm. it was a cool gig uh, the music was challenging and fun and you know a lot of times like odd time signature stuff and whatever and uh but then we moved my wife and i moved to new york for like a year and i ditched the band right so mm -hmm. then when i come back to the area so i'm in the cleveland area at this point um I, the the gig was gone like the band was still going on but somebody else was playing guitar in it yeah and so the the to the drummer i said well Hey, we both love like Meshuggah and stuff. Would you be interested in doing like a metal project? And he's like, yeah, that'd be awesome. Like he's a huge, huge Meshuggah, bigger Meshuggah fan than I am. And uh, so I went and I started writing all these tunes and I had made a goal. And this was for this band, Red Side Visible. No, no guitar was in my hands for it. It was all like in my head, in the ears, right into finale you know, um, and a lot of it is just, it's not guitar friendly at all. Um, yeah. You know, and it, it was very much like at the time I was studying some composition lessons and all kinds of, you know, it was really, and, and one of the big concepts was just, I was sort of inventing this 12 tone language for myself to use um, for writing and for um, improvisation, like just yeah. ways to do it that were usable, not just trying to like memorize some tone row but like you can break it into little cells and little chunks um 
like I did a whole study on how could you make a 12 tone line sound like mixolydian? Like you want it to sound mixolydian, but it's still 12 tone. And so how do you do that? You have to accent certain notes in a certain way in a certain order. And you can, you can kind of do these kind of things. You know, that was, that was the sort of like games and thoughts I was playing with. And that's at the same time I was writing that first album. And uh, you, just to go back to the 12 tone thing, yeah. sort of a little interesting to me. Yeah. Um, did you, so you just said, you gave the example of trying to make a 12 tone row sound like mixolydian. Did yeah. you also do that for every other mode or? Yeah, no, I was just picking on that one. Yeah. So every mode you could think of or different colors or yeah. Like I, I think it's kind of funny <laughs> My wedding music was there was twelve tone music in it. Like I wrote the the music for the wedding with violin and piano, and like the bridesmaid walked down to a twelve tone piece, but it's very pretty, and no one would ever know that it was twelve tone. Like mm -hmm. I I find those things really fascinating. Like maybe someone with perfect pitch would catch it, but most other people wouldn't catch it because it's yeah. done in a sort of like a I don't want to say it's clever. I don't want to like pat myself on the back for that, but like the it's just interesting sounding, right? And it ends up creating these melodies that sound sort of fascinating. And, and you know, when you look at jazz and the more you learn like about bebop and stuff, I mean, it's not that hard to imagine how you could do that because you use so much chromaticism and stuff that you can, you know, enclose notes and stuff like that. And you could really use all 12 tones and it would still sound like a C major chord or something, you know, cause you just, when you hit it in the right order, it sort of sounds a certain way. Uh, back up back up a little bit because yeah. you say one of the things that we like to do on this particular show is that if you mention something and it's like an actual thing yeah we want to know if we can link to it because uh, now that yeah. you've talked about that piece we all want to hear it you know yeah so i wish i had the pian the the bridesmaid piece because not only have you asked about it my wife always asks about it oh really <laughs> And, you know, and actually I can play violin and viola. I, I'd sort of taken that up like five years ago. I could probably play the pieces oh, in really? the piano, you know, and I could probably record a version of it, but I got to find the music again. It's in a, it's in one of these somewhere, you know, uh, one of these manuscript books um, <laughs> somewhere. Cause that's, this is sort of, I don't think I had finale or anything at the time. So I had just handwritten, written it. Yeah. Um, but a lot of the red side visible stuff is 12 tone mm. and it's, and it's this sort of like unique way. So there, in the first album, there's a song called WTF. So the first album is called enter entropy. This was 2010. It came out and I, I almost call it like, it's like 12 tone porn music or something. <laughs> kind of what that song sounds like. Oh really? Um, I like it. But uh, it's a, it's a really interesting sounding riff. Like you wouldn't know it was 12 tone unless you analyzed it. Yeah. I mean, actually, there's 12 tone through the whole melody. And on the new album, there's a song called Snap, Crackle, Pop. Um, and even though I added a bunch of vocals and stuff on it, if you, if you would take the vocals away, you would hear the 12 tone more. But between the guitars and the saxes and stuff, it's actually a 12 tone melody, inter you know, throughout the whole piece, pretty much. Mm -hmm. Like, So sometimes you would, a couple of the notes might be on the guitar, some might be the bass, sometimes it might be a tenor to alto sax. And they're all happening in some order, but you could you could rationalize it through uh, 12 tone rows and just different schemes that I would use to come up with that stuff. Okay. So check, check it out. Are, so we're, we're, we're talking about the album now, right? Yeah. You, you're ready to, ready to like get into it. Yeah. So, 
So let's let me let me just stop because I actually have yeah. a list of sort of things that sort of jumped out at me. Yeah, go for it. I just wanted to sort of place pay, pay you some compliments first um, because there were a couple things that I really liked about it, um, and I made I just made notes. Um, it is like essentially a jazz metal album. It's like yeah. it's pretty strong in the jazz. It's pretty strong in the metal. So it's a nice mixture of those, and it's pretty. Um, uh, it's it's aggressive, but it's also like musically intense in that there's a lot of notes. So it's a frenetic it has a, it has a lot of frenetic points. On the one hand, on the other hand, there were a lot of nice things you did with mixing, with vocals, where um, there were like super angelic sounding vocals over like genty riffs and things. There was a right. lot of stuff that I liked. <clears throat> I, I made a note of the solo on Snap, Crackle, Pop. I actually really like the saxophone solo on that one. That's awesome, yeah. And I love your solo and it was so Holdsworthy. <laughs> it was like super Holdsworthy, but I, I, I just love the solo. I love the tone. Um, I love the opening theme. Yeah. And, then you, and then you revisited it. So I liked all that stuff. So this is for people who are listening and who don't, if people are listening to this or watching this show yeah. and they don't know, do I want to listen to it? If you like, you know, this type, if you like metal, but you also like jazz, you, you know, you're going to get there. Um, the, the solo on Dislocated, especially with, there were some synth, synthy kind of sounds. Yeah. And it was sort of a little bit glitchy. So that was a guitar, right? It was, yeah. And that, that was pretty sick. And then there was, I think it's the song Dislocated, where it's like this um, epic section. It's a very epic section. It looks like the section that would be like going over, it would be like a drone shot over like, you know, like a war zone, like, um, All right. like the robots versus the zombies war zone. Sure in slow-mo or something it was just so epic it was almost like video game music there's a yeah. lot of cool stuff on this album so i just made these notes so dislocated was one the solo from it's more complicated than you think had some like super fiery riffs and the time feel it was like you know like in a solo where the heat you like sort of building up heat i felt like you really you really nailed it in that oh, thank so you that was really nice um and that's, those are all the like notes that I had about like complimentary notes yeah. about the album. But I think it's a good idea to just like um, characterize the music so people know what it is. So, so like, sure. how would you, I know for me, it would sounded like metal, math rock, jazz, you know, sound like all that stuff. How would you characterize it for people who want to like decide whether they want to listen to it at all? Yeah. So, Thank you for all those comments. And I'm glad you're noticing those things. I, I, I know a few people that have listened to it that really aren't into, let's just say more, uh, I don't know if you want to call it artsy music or intellectual music or something. But they were like, the first time they listened to it, they really, like, I think they struggled. They listened to it because they're my friend, but they, they weren't like, they normally would listen to Bush or something, you know, or um, Weezer or whatever. Like, so they weren't, weren't quite ready for it. But then they said, you know, after, they're like, I gave it a few more tries. And like, every time I listen to it, I hear something new that I didn't hear before. So there's a lot of like, just layers of things that go on it. But uh, to sort of back up a little bit, um, 
probably my favorite album of all time is the Mr. Bungle California record. I just adore the heck out of that album. And if you haven't heard that album, it's, it's a total masterpiece. And it really doesn't sound like any of the other Mr. Bungle records at all. Um, it's almost like their version of Pet Sounds or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, they used so many instruments on that record. There was really like no limitation and they recorded it to tape the whole thing. And I guess they almost like murdered each other because you know, like tape, you don't get any read. You maybe you get the redo of the thing you just did, but like you can't fix something from like three day, three weeks ago that you recorded because it's already there and you'd have to start all over again or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, and then it just uses, it uses, um, you know, acoustic instruments, like things you've never heard of before. And like, I know Mike Patton, like, has like a closet or like a room full of just random toys that make different musical sounds. And like, there's all those kind of things like in this record, it's just, a, just as far as like a production, it's really just an incredible album. <clears throat> and so when I went to make this, this new Red Side Visible stuff, a lot of the music was written eight years ago, actually. And the drums were recorded eight or seven years ago or so. And it's never finished it. But when I came back to recording it then now, I was like, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to go all in. We're going to go and do sort of the Mr. Bungle treatment to it. Uh, there's no rules. Um, if there's 150 tracks happening at the same time, then there's 150 tracks happening at the same time. It, it, I'm not, I know the, the original Red Side Visible band, like that band played and toured and it was, you know, kind of a fun live show and we did improv and like, it was just, but that, I knew that wasn't going to happen with it, especially with COVID and stuff. So I guess to characterize the music, it's it's inspired by that sort of freedom that bands like Mr. Bungle, Zappa, and those, and others um, sort of afford. There's, there's also like an element of humor in it that I like from those bands. Um, which I was saying before, like metal bands are often like so serious and like the, the content and the lyrics and everything's like, it's either like really depressing or really dark or really sad and like that's not really it's just not something that I relate to personally um, or that I wanted to share on something like this at least um, uh, I just, yeah uh, Tim I uh, listened to this album for the first time today actually oh did you nice yeah so I have the raw and the first thing I'm, I'm glad you said all that stuff because I was like okay I'm, I'm, I'm catching what you're dropping because yeah. I, I was like this reminds me a little bit of Mr. Bungle right away but they're definitely doing their own thing. So I would say to someone who doesn't understand anything technical about music, like, uh, like if you enjoy Mr. Bungle, you definitely want to check this album out. Um, and right away, the humor and the joy, like I sensed a lot of emotion. And even though it was an aggressive sound, I was like, there's, they're smiling or like, this is like yeah, right. the intention. It really came through. Like I caught it right away. Awesome. And, um, it was it was so engaging, and um, as like the the uh, the layers, I was like, this is so dense. I'm not catching oh, it. Yeah. I'm not. There's no way. There's no way. It's so much. Um, but especially, I'm more of the metalhead than Keith. Keith likes metal, yeah. but I definitely like Meshuga, all that stuff. Sure. The way you use the metal in a funny way, uh, um, it was uh, it was spot on. I really enjoyed it so um, thank you for making this album yeah yeah 
it's funny. I, I, one of the things I noticed because it's sort of like this project disappeared for eight years, 10 years. Um, when I sort of revisited it this past year to finish it, I was like, I have to get this thing done. You know, like I've been sitting on this thing for like eight years. Um, it's just that it didn't sound like a derivative of, of much else. Like, yes, like you just said, it, it yeah. certainly has like Mr. Bungle tendencies and probably especially as like a vocalist or whatever. Like I love Mike Patton and I, it, I wasn't trying to be Mike Patton cause who can do that? But I, I sort of said, well, not like what would he do, but like he, he, people like him take the cuffs off so you can just do whatever you can think. You know, I didn't say like, I would never sing a choir part here, you know, like, of course I would. Why not? You know, like it doesn't have to all be screaming and why not rap here? You know, like I can't really rap, but sure. Well, let's just do it. Like it just, it was just like, I let, I let those sort of like urges happen. Like I didn't try to squash it. Um, And the same with, uh, you know, like, I, I don't know how you guys, you make, you make music, but a lot of times when I'm making music, you just get an idea, especially when you're recording and like that, that angelic choir thing or whatever. It's like, I happened to get us this setting just right. And I sang one vocal and I was like, Hey, I think that might actually work. And then I recorded like 30 more and they just, it just like, it's funny. I didn't have to do much mixing on that particular thing to make it sound good. It just, I just got kind of lucky, dumb, a little bit of dumb luck. Um, and just like flew with the idea on there. And I was like, holy crap, this actually sounds pretty awesome. Like I call it the Star Wars choir. Like that's kind of what I think of when I hear that part. And it's like, it just worked out. I'm like, I think I have to keep that, you know? And um, so that's kind of how I was working on it. I would, I had the sort of foundation for it, the rhythm track, so to speak, but all the like layers and like viola and violin and cello and everything else that I added and vocals and stuff. It's really like a testing the waters and, and sort of seeing what worked. And some things came like very naturally. Like I think like the the vocal section on that like third bat boom boom, that was like one take. It just like nailed it first take. And I was sort of improvising it. And then I went back and I actually had my kids like help sing a couple parts on it. So like that, um, I can't remember the line now, but we, you know, like they, we all sang it together. And like, I just added like tons of layers just so, cause it sounded kind of cool. Um, and then like dislocated, I think the first part of it, like it just, it just like worked out. But then other ones, I mean, I, I, I must've done hundreds of versions before I felt good about it. Mm. Um, you know, I was like, eh, this isn't working or this isn't working. I can't, couldn't find the right groove, you know, so to speak. Um, how, um, so, so you just said that you, the album is, I think you said just now that it was like sort of like simmering for eight years or something. Yeah. So first of all, you know, what happened there? Like, how, you know, did you just, yeah. So the band, the band was band? playing a lot. Um, we actually played in a festival in Europe and we, you know, were, it was fun. And it, it was sort of, you know, like there's been like a metal scene sort of recently with like the jazz metal thing, you know, like with saxophones and stuff, but there really wasn't 10 years ago. So we were, we were sort of at the forefront of that thing. Though what I noticed with a lot of the bands that came after us, so to speak, um, they were very like derivative of a certain sound. Like it was like gent plus saxophones, you know? It was almost like the, that was like an, a, 
it's almost like you took a periphery record and just added saxophones to it. And you know what I mean? Like it wasn't like their own creative vision of the whole thing, which I think is what we did. It was a little different. Mm-hmm. Um, we weren't trying to be anything really it just, and like I said, I wrote it all without guitar in my hand. So I was trying to like keep it from being too persuaded that way. How did you um, write it with no guitar in your hands? Like, did you have it, did you type it into a, like a. Yeah. Into finale. Finale. Yeah. Yeah, so I guess one thing is I have pretty good ears. Um, it's something I've worked on since, like I said, when I first started playing, I would pick stuff off records. And yeah. um, I mostly don't need it. You know, I can, I've gotten to the point now where I can hear stuff and I can mostly, you know, write it down. I, but you were if, getting some kind of sonic feedback from the program itself. Yes, because so you could play it back. I yeah. used to do that in college, but it sounds like, you know, I mean, my, my memory of it sounds like total crap and nothing even close to anything real. Right. So it was just like, a, it was just like the feedback was just, am I getting the notes right or not? Yeah. Not, you know, what is this thing going to sound like? Yeah. And as you, it, it is, so that's the nice thing about it though, too, is when you do it, it kind of sounds crappy on the, like if you can get it halfway decent on finale or something where you're like, Hey, this is kind of a cool, like melody, interesting groove or whatever. Then it's like, well, I know when real musicians play this, it's really going to sound great, you know, because it really does take a whole life of its own. It's not like there's drums on there, too. So the drums um, go. So, the yeah. So the reason it took so long, actually, the band was playing a bunch, but then people started moving away. Actually, the main saxophone player who actually plays on this record, too, and did that saxophone. Fantastic. One of the best musicians I've ever met. He's amazing. Uh had his PhD um, from Arizona recently and like just a top notch, amazing musician who can read anything. Cause I actually write things that aren't possible to play and he can play them. Um, and it, like a great uh, jazz player too. Anyway, um, he moved away and he was kind of like the foundation of our horn section in this group. And uh, then we actually, we actually did a radio show. You can find it where we had, um, we added trumpets and like more saxes and trombone and like we, so we ended up having like six piece brass section um, in there. You did a radio show where you recorded the band. Yeah, there's we did a, at least a song. It's on there. Um, oh, yeah. Tower from the first record. I, I've seen it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. If if you, yeah, so you should probably go to. You, you could probably find that, and it's an okay take. What you can tell is it's not as well rehearsed as some of the stuff we had done otherwise um but it, it's still pretty cool and it's just you know it's like a novelty but uh yeah so it's a song called tower and it was it was on the radio but it was also they also did like a video of this song so uh but then i, I don't know when you have a band like every person you add to a band in my experience it makes it exponentially harder <laughs> to have the band like it's not a just a little bit harder. It's like, now you got to coordinate four people's schedule. Now you got to coordinate eight people's schedules. It's like, it's just like, it becomes like this impossible thing to manage. Mm-hmm. And the only way you really can manage those things is money. And we money, just, money, money. Yeah. I mean, if you were paying everybody a couple hundred dollars to come to rehearsal, you know, you could, sure you could maintain that. But if you're not doing that, which we weren't, um, you, could, you just never could line up the schedules. It was such a pain. So the band kind of dissolved, but I had written the next set of songs. Um, and the drummer spent a bunch of time learning how to play them all. And so he went and recorded them at the time. And uh, 
I over the years I had sort of like done some versions of it. Um and you know, I was trying to use modeling too, which like amp modeling. Mm. Like I have an eleven I think I had done eleven I have an eleven rack. Did that, I had a boss thing, I had amplitude. But I just man, I really never liked it. It always just sounded so wimpy and like it just lost all of everything. Mm-hmm. And uh even in the summer this past year, I had all those tracks already recorded, like the foundation. And uh, I was like, you know what, just for fun, I have this Marshall over here. Um, yes. And I was like, I think I took like this, you know, I'm um, not even like a good mic. I don't even remember what it was. Like I have, I have an SM57 here. So the 57 and I have a, um, actually it's funny, everything's close. Um, I have this ribbon mic I use and I have some other, you know, other mics, but at the time I think I just recorded it like whatever was just on one of these things. And I didn't even like place the mic very good. And I didn't even have the amp like tuned in that well. And I just recorded one of the tracks of the guitars with that. And instantly there was like a three dimensional thing that happened to the mix. And I was like, crap. I knew it was going to happen. Yes. But like at the same time, I was like, crap, I have to go re-record everything. There's no substitution. It just, it's, really, it's just like that. It's just can't. not great. And I have a Helix too, which I need to sell. If somebody wants to buy my Helix because I don't ever use it. But like, you know, I had this and I had like all these IRRs. I was trying all kinds of stuff to make it work. And it was like, even like a crappily mic'd amp sounded so much better. I'm, I, 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 I joke with people sometimes. I'm like, you could probably get like a Line 6 Spider with like a um, Best Buy microphone, <laughs> you know, and it would sound 10 million times better than an Axe FX 3, you know, like I just actually think it probably would because like a sense of depth you get with it, you just can't get otherwise. Um, and so I went and I re-recorded it all. And then like sometimes I have a, I, I'm, I feel fortunate, I have a Marshall, I have a Mesa, Defender, I have a, a red plate. So there, there's never the same, like if there's dual tracks, there's never the same amp. Mm. Um, it's never the same mic. Sometimes there's the, you know, it could be different mics and stuff. So I really, once you do that, it really adds like a dimension to it, I think. Especially, you know, if you have good headphones and stuff, you can I think you can hear like the depth of the thing, which was just not possible. I Like I really pretty much despise modeling at this point after this experiment and every once in a while i go back and try it and i have some like you know the good stuff and i'm just like man it's just so horrible it's really just awful um and you don't get any feedback you don't get any like as a player you don't get the feedback that you you like from tube amps so yeah that the um i i sympathize i um but I'm not, Dan knows I'm like a tone idiot. I have no idea. I just play whatever. And, yeah. you know, to, you know, it's, it's a, it's a weakness of mine. So it doesn't matter. That's uh, so funny that you say that Keith. I can't remember the number of times. I'm like, what are you, why, is that, why, why that tone for that? Real? Like, what are you doing? This is just random. <laughs> um, so uh, I think, so just, just to give like the 10 minute warning, we, yeah. we're coming up on time. So um, I, I actually did want to ask you, I know, so you had a band, so you recorded this with a band. Did you record a lot of it in the studio or did you record a lot of it? Only the drums were recorded in the studio. Okay. Um, everything else was recorded here. 
was it a pro studio for the drums yeah for the drums yeah okay yeah. And, actually but, there were two different places and unfortunately they sounded different <laughs> oh really oh, yeah, so so I, I i struggled the drums is probably the hardest thing i had to mix on this record okay um and, and so and, you go ahead oh, go ahead yeah you mixed it all yourself yeah i did everything myself and you got it mastered um professionally so, yourself as well i did but then i hated it and i ended up doing it myself oh you know i think you uh, you said that on one of your i'm gonna metal. i'm so a pretty popular like metal mixer producer master did a master for me and we went back and forth a few times but it was like he really put like the industry standard sort of master on it yeah and it just sounded like it sounded like that to me and i there were certain things it wasn't so much that is that there were certain frequencies and stuff that i really noticed that stuck out and he like i'm not sure if they he just didn't have his ears like maybe they're like fried or something and he just couldn't hear those frequencies anymore and i'm like how are you not noticing these things <laughs> um so i went back and i i had done some mastering before so i wasn't too unfamiliar um but yeah, I guess one of the things I didn't really mention as far as production wise is I, I sort of like took myself to school on this record. So I've, I've mixed a lot of the records that I've been a part of. Um, but when I did this one, I was like, I really don't know anything about master's degree, basically. What's that? What's that? If it took eight years, that's basically like your undergrad and your master's. Oh, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> well, so but so this past year, I was like, I don't really know much about like metal mixing. Like I really don't. And I could pretend like I knew something. But I, I said, well, how do I learn about it? You know? So then I went and I got some courses and I watched videos and I read books and I tried all these kind of things. And some of it I liked and some of it I didn't. And like, there's certain things that metal's really interesting. Like it's not really going for the natural thing. And even like to get the power that you need in certain sections, you cannot use the natural sounding instrument. It's just not the way it goes. You gotta, like I, there's this one guy and I can't remember his name now, but it's like guitar or whatever. You just got to like peek the crap out of this thing. Like, don't, don't look at the, don't be scared of it. Like just, you know, like on a snare or whatever, like seven K just blast it because otherwise it can get lost. Like you just, just do it. Like, don't, don't overthink it. Like, don't think, well, that doesn't look right. Why does my curve look like this? Like it shouldn't look, don't think it shouldn't look like that. Like he's like, get that out of your head. That doesn't, none of that matters. What you're trying to do is get it to like, you want it to pop and like hit you in the face, you know? So there's those kind of things I had to learn about it. Cause I've always done more of like pseudo jazz, whatever kind of, which is more of a natural, like you just kind of let the instruments do and you try not to EQ it too much. Mm -hmm. um, but this was a totally different experience. Mm. Um, and especially with all the layers, you gotta like, if you have 220 Hertz or something is like building up on like, 70 things all of a sudden like it just sounds like mud so you have to really like be strategic with how you get rid of certain frequencies so it sounds fascinating like, sort of experiment <laughs> yeah i mean that, the record is so elaborate that it really sounded like it would be a real bear to like try to oh, yeah. you know, mix and master i was a bear yeah um <clears throat> you, do you have something else to say oh no go ahead yeah well so I, I want to close out since um, we're getting to a close to an hour. Um, so first of all, you know, you, you can say whatever you want 
you can, I mean, obviously we're encouraging people to go listen to the record. So we're going to um, put a link uh, in the description and we'll share it out on social media, et cetera, um, like, we, like we do. Um, but, um, and you also have a podcast, but is there anything else you wanna, is there something that we missed or you wanna like pitch something besides the record? Yeah, so that, um, I guess not really, I, I would say, I guess, what's that saying? Sleeping dogs never lie or something. What is that? Like, anyway, I, I there's another record we're finishing right now for a group night terrors. That's going to come out in August. Mm. So I've mostly mixed that at this point. That's a, like a free jazz avant-garde sort of thing. Um, and so that, that's probably, that's supposed to be coming out in August. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I guess look for that, but yeah, as far as this record, I yeah I put like thousands of hours into this stupid thing, and so <laughs> it if, sounds like it. Yeah, and I, I would recommend going to listen to it and giving you know giving it some time. And there's all these little nuggets like um, like you were saying where you can find you know there's like choir sections or like raps or you know Holdsworthy solos or synthy guitar crazy solos, um, and intention like that dislocated one like a. I think I did a bunch of takes on that solo, but the first ones kind of sounded a little too much like the other ones. Mm. And I was like, like well, that just seems boring. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so let's, I got to do something else. That's why that one sounds so crazy. Um, I had to, you know, I was trying to be creative with it. So there's all these little things or, or like that part with the string section, we're talking about like the aliens and stuff coming over. Um, there's all these little nuggets. And in fact, on that part, um, there's a part where my daughter like screamed and I left it in there because it's just like this like novelty thing. So you can hear this like eh, as part of like the string melody or whatever. But yeah. when, it just sounds kind of cool. Like it almost sounds like intentional, but it was actually just her like screaming during the take. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I'm just going to keep it. Like it's just cool. So there's all these little like nuggets um, that are worth doing. And then I made uh, four videos. So if, you, if you're a YouTube person, you can find those videos. And one of them I meant to grab has like a puppet and all kinds of stuff. So there's, oh, I saw that one. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, just try to have fun with it and all that. Yeah. All right. So, you know, what we'll do is um, actually, and what's your website? Actually, just timmirth.com. That's what I thought. Okay. Yeah. So, timmirth.com. Do you have people follow you like uh, on socials or anything? Yeah. So I, I do have music in like in, Instagram is probably the biggest thing in terms of quantity of people that follow it. Um, I think it's timmirth. Get, Understore guitar, maybe. Right. Yeah. Like so send me a link, or I'll. I'll yeah. find, I mean, I think I follow you, so I'll just find it. Cool. And then, what about Facebook? Do people follow? Yeah, you Facebook. I have that. I guess I'm not great about all the little different projects because I have like different bands. Uh, but yeah, I have a Tim Earth one. There's a Red Side Visible page. Yeah. There's a Night Terrors page. There's a Stellar Regions page. There's a Chromo Drive page. So the, the different projects I'm in, they all have different pages and stuff that you can find. And cool. then. uh to say all that, I'm I'm pretty much gonna focus on jazz for the next like ten years. <laughs> I heard you say that actually on maybe on your podcast. Yeah. I don't, but I was like, oh, that's cool because I've heard you play things that span the gamut. Yeah. Really. So it's like this particular album is is pretty heavy. Right. But you know, I've seen you play um, your Eastman and play lots of jazzy things, and you play that Telly. Um, yeah. What's the brand now? The K Line. K-Line, yeah, and, and, and that sort of stuff is, um, 
sort of also pretty jazzy and yeah. maybe even like modern classical sounding sometimes. Sure. So, um, you know, so maybe a lot. Yeah, I think of, I'm, I'm trying to. Something. I, I needed to, to sort of finish the metal projects. Like I said, I grew up with it. I'm too easily distracted. So I, I'm, what I'm trying to do is just be like, I'm just going to do this other thing for a while. Yeah. Like no. what happens if I really focus on, like I've been studying the crap out of bebop the last month, really. Like, Oh yeah. I mean, I've been practicing more in the last month than I have in a long time, oh. you know, four to six hours a day, like wow. any chance I get and just diving in and all the stuff that I really kind of skipped out on or just loosely learned and just, and, you know, just trying to learn all that. So mm -hmm. I, I kind of <laughs> trying to get all that under my wing so I can actually do that thing, you know, because I love it. I, I love, I love it. It's of all the the types of music. It's the one that keeps pulling me back the most. So. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. So, you know, you know, what we should do. Um, we should stop this particular podcast. People um, will go to the, the links in the description, the album um, red side, visible, a break from normality. Yeah. You gotta, I, I listened to it like, you know, maybe 20 times in the past oh, week. Oh man, awesome. And it was just like, you know, just, it was like every time, it's sort of like you both said, it's like the more you listen to it, the more you get out of it. Um, Cause it's pretty dense, um, but it's, it's awesome. It's an awesome album. So, um, you know, we want to plug that. I would like to, you know, we don't have a form. This is a formal channel. But I don't have, we have a Get You Some Guitar channel, nice. which is just like guitar nonsense. May, we should do a video one day just talking about bebop on the Get You Some Guitar. Oh, nice. Yeah, we should do that. I'm studying um, Joe Pass lines from that orange book. Oh, nice. So I might, have, I might have that somewhere. Yeah, everyone. It's like the book that I've had yeah. for 10 years and never opened it until like a month ago. Nice. So awesome all right tim murph yeah thank you so much guys it's Dude, been a pleasure you. thank yeah. you Tim. it's awesome uh it's awesome meeting you today and um, yeah you too uh, you have a great story and i'm looking forward to promoting uh your material to all, all my friends um oh, man. And everything and the word out you know i know how hard it is and, uh, i just think it's great so thanks for coming thank, on thank you yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. okay right, bro. Bye, guys. see you guys all right see ya